find myself in a strange place which resembles a TARDIS. A very low-budget TARDIS designed out of the remnants of somebody's uh, set closet and with no apparent functional utility. What a wonderful place to be. I couldn't be happier. And I see somebody materializing in the background. Who's there? Hello, Jason. It's Sai. Sai, is it really you? It is, after all this time. Sai, I am 50 years old, but the 45 minutes that you and I spent together discussing Planet of Evil on Doctor Who Literature was the greatest moment in my life, and nothing will ever surpass it. I don't think we'll ever beat that. Oh, happy days. That will never be beaten. Unless the next person materializing can beat that. Who else goes there? Oh, hello, everybody. Oh, you've had the place redecorated. Huh, I don't like it. Hello, US Jason. Hello, Sly. It's UK Jason. Two Jasons in the same space at the same time? Watch out for the Blinovich limitation effect. Jason, even though I am 50 years old and I've met five U.S. presidents and I've had quite an interesting professional career, the 60 minutes that you and I spent discussing old toys on your YouTube channel, <laughs> no moment in time will ever surpass what we achieved during those 60 minutes. Oh, I'm so touched by that. I'm so touched. I remember it well. I remember it well. Let's now sit and look at a cheap model of the Jodie Whittaker TARDIS and pretend to watch that 60-minute YouTube episode and then come back and engage in some more witty banter about what times we had. Oh, I think we're being interrupted. There's more. Somebody else is there. Who could it possibly be? Wow, look at all this stuff. I could get a fortune for this on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi guys. Hello. Hello there. Like, it's Mark. Yeah, I'm a lot older. You won't recognize me. Oh my goodness. You barely fit into that blazer on your hair. Where did your hair go? <laughs> the years have not been kind. <laughs> Mark, the two hours that I spent with you and Mrs. Mark in New York City a year ago, even though I am half a century old and have a child and have a highly rated Doctor Who podcast of my own, nothing will ever surpass the time that we spent walking around Times Square. It was it was a great time. And Hell's Kitchen as well. well who, who, how will we ever forget? Well, thank you for downloading the Trap One podcast and welcome as we discuss Tales from the TARDIS. TARDIS, 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 TARDIS. I am joined by my expert panel of Cy, UK Jason, and Mark. I am US Jason or Jason in Brooklyn. Fellas, what did we all think of Tales from the TARDIS? Sai, starting with you. Um, I'm still recovering um, from a second watch, which broke me as much as the first one. <laughs> so, I, you say, yeah, they were turning on the schmaltz. They absolutely were, and quite right too. I, it, A, was a surprise that we got this, and B, was a surprise at how moving many of them were and as we'll discuss as we go along um it was ones that um there were there was one in particular that took me by surprise at how much it it got to me and it wasn't the one i expected at all 
So, um, yeah, I will keep that in suspense for the moment. It seems as if we're starting off this, like, the 60th anniversary of the Hooniverse, as it's now been rebranded, like, you know, with just absolute brilliant, spoilt-for-choice snippets. And um, I was, like, really surprised, like Cy, as well, and and touched. And, again, I think we'll probably discuss it. Um, Yeah, you know, yeah, we could argue that it's smaltzy, and all the rest, but you know what's wrong with a little bit of smalls? You know, sometimes Doctor Who didn't do that; it didn't have its heart quite in the right place. And I think, obviously, times have changed, and it's uh, they're reflecting on that uh, with the characters that we meet up with again and uh, the stories that they tell. I re- really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I loved them as well. And, and like say, I think. I wasn't as emotional at the ones that I thought. I went, I went straight in and watched um, the McCoy and Aldred one because that's that's where I came into the series. That's the pair that I absolutely loved. But it was the '60s ones that I found much more moving. I think, particularly the the Jamie and Zoe one. I think it's when they're talking about people who are no longer with us, and and they're talking as much about the actors as the characters. There was something very, very moving about that as well. Um, but I think the whole the whole thing's great. It's great nostalgia for fans of the classic series like us but i think as a way into fans who are more familiar with the new series putting ace and tegan in there who've obviously in the most recent episode of doctor that's been broadcast um you've got joe and clyde from the sarah jane adventures so i think it's a it's a nice little stepping stone maybe for people to explore the classic series now that they're mostly all available on the iplayer in the uk that's a little kind of way in for them with these more familiar characters maybe Let's talk about how we all experienced Tales from the TARDIS. It is, of course, available as part of the new Hooniverse package on BBC iPlayer. But you have to be either in the UK and a BBC license holder in order to access this, or you have to have a VPN and falsely click on the box that says, yes, I pay the license fee in order to watch it. For those of us who don't, the... Isolated segments of these between 90 seconds and three minutes are available as of the date of this recording, Thursday, November 9th, on YouTube. I don't know how long they're going to stay up there. But how do you experience this? I have seen a screenshot of the Hooniverse setup, and there is a tile that says Tales from the TARDIS. Does it show you each encounters separately are there multiple videos to watch for each pairing the are they bumpers that wrap around an episode like for example we see jamie and zoe are watching the mind robber we see the seventh doctor and ace watching curse of fenric can you only watch these as bumpers or are these like wraparound segments what are they so when you go into the iplayer and and they're actually in a sort of a series order which isn't the chronological order of the stories so, like, episode one is Earthshock, episode two, The Mind Robber, then it goes Vengeance on Varos, The Three Doctors, Time Meddler, and The Curse of Fenric. So when you go into the Hooniverse tab on the iPlayer, you then go into Tales of the TARDIS, and, and those six episodes are there to watch. And, yeah, you watch it, you watch the, the intro, the episode without as an omnibus, without any titles, and then as it finishes, it fades back into the, the outro for the Tale of the TARDIS bit. Do you have to watch 
the entire omnibus episode to see the Tales from the TARDIS intro and outro, or can you watch those in isolation? You can't watch them in isolation. No, no. no. But you can fast forward through the uh, through it if you're on the iPlay. It's very quick, just to um, you know, sort of use the little shuttle button to to go across the the, uh, the bottom of the screen to the end of it. Yeah, I mean, for obviously, because uh, some of these stories have recently turned up on collection box sets, um, <clears throat> I did find myself watching some of them in entirety just because I got like, kind of like, you know, caught up in the story. And Earthshot was like the first one. I actually didn't go on, onto the iPlayer at first. I went on my Sky Cube box, and it, it was actually one of the choices of the day on your main Sky like homepage. I was like, wow, oh, blimey, you know, they're really promoting it here. So I uh, watched Earthshock um, through that. Um, but I, I skipped through um, The Time Meddler and Vengeance on Varos because they would – I'd watched them fairly recently um, because of the Season 2 and the Season 22 um, collection box sets. But with the other ones, I kind of, like, decided to, like, oh, you know, let's sit down and watch the, the full story. And uh, it's quite interesting because there's a couple of choices uh, that were made. Um, the Time Meddler, they've used um, the surviving episodes, so they've not used the DVD or the the, the Blu-ray version, which has like added um, bits in, like, you know, to make up for cutscenes and stuff. Um, it's the transmission version of Earthshock rather than the special edition, because it has the candy cane laser bolts uh, rather than the updated ones that they did. Um, but the Curse of Fenric was the movie special edition which i found interesting um so it's 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 i think a bit bizarre where they've taken like you know which version and which version they then put into tales from the tardis i did wonder if they'd chosen the fenric movie because it was already edited all together and so that might have been um just an easier choice rather than having to to glue it all together and to be fair it does hang together better as a story as the movie than it does um, in the in the original four part episodic version, so um, I think that was a, a sensible choice. Going in order from Cy to UK Jason to Mark, which was our favorite of the six Tales from the Tardis segments? Which is the one that brought you the most to tears, or uh, made you the most emotionally crushed and destroyed? Um, for me, um, it was um, Colin and Nicola. Um, in, for the Vengeance on Varos one, which I really didn't expect at all, because um, so it's kind of odd because they're not my favourite TARDIS team of all of these people. They're not. They're not. Um, yeah, it's it's it just hit me when when she turned round and he Colin looked so happy to see her. And it was just like, oh my goodness, this is just like repairing all the damage of that horrible, broken relationship they had. And that that was the one that floored me completely. I really didn't expect that. And the, the sheer warmth between um, the Doctor and Perry at the end when they're at the controls and they're going to go off and have more adventures together was just, wow, okay, this is a a team I didn't expect to see reunited because is Perry dead or not dead? It's always been been difficult to know what actually happened there. Um, so obviously they, they've sorted that out. It tied in beautifully with the season 22 um, trailer 
where she's back at the Yukano statue because she's going back every year to go and see it, which is beautifully done by Pete McTie, obviously because he wrote that as well. So that that was a lovely. Um, oh no, it's not. It was Russell T Davis who wrote this one. Sorry, I've got my notes wrong there. Um, so, but that tied in in beautifully with that, and I just thought it was. It was so good to see them going off to save the universe, the Doctor and the Warrior Queen. And that was the one that got me. I think it's a while since I've watched Trial of a Time Lord, but I'm right in saying the last time she sees him, she's tied to the rock, isn't she? Yeah. And then she doesn't see him again after that. So, yeah, as you say, it's um, it's it's good that she's so <laughs> she's so forgiving, pleased to see him. <laughs> <laughs> with, with the ending of that, I bet a big finisher rubbing the hands with Glee going, oh, yes, we can do some more. <laughs> and we don't have to use old, like... Um, 40-year-old, like, um, publicity photos. We can do some new ones. <laughs> Colin in his lovely suit. And yeah. I love the touch that he had with the handkerchief, which was the, the colours mm. of the Sex Doctor jacket. I thought that was a lovely touch. And he still had the badge on his lapel, which was he lovely. Um, but for me, um, like you say, it's strange that because you, you would think that the ones that really, you know, that are kind of like of your era would touch you. And it, obviously, you know, it's... We don't have one from the fourth Doctor era, and from what I believe, it's you know Tom's eighty nine, nearly ninety, getting on, and it, they I think they struggle to get insurance because of new COVID protocols that you know dramas have to and TV have to sign. Louise Jameson is always busy. I think she's in one of the she's in another soap at the moment. She's in Emmerdale at the moment. She's yeah, Emmerdale. Mm-hmm. She's now in. Um, and obviously, Lala Ward uh, is over in Hong Kong. Not that she'd probably appear on screen with Tom Baker, but you could probably have K9 there. Um, so, yes. So, for me, the one that really kind of like touched me and I was really surprised at it was the, the Free Doctors one, which has like obviously Joe and Clyde. And obviously, it follows on from the. Um, season nine kind of like little mini adventure that we got in the collection box set of that where obviously joe mentioned that you know cliff her husband cliff jones was no longer here you know he passed away and obviously the third doctor then grants her kind of like to see cliff one more time and they actually use a little bit of audio of um stuart bevan and I was like, oh, my God. He <laughs> got me. He was like, oh, my you know, I've got, I've got something in my throat. So that one really, really did touch me. But um, obviously the the scenes with Seventh Doctor and Ace as well, because that was kind of like when I came back into, like, really loving the show after having a few years out. Um, I loved the fact that they repeated the lines from the end of Survival. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, I think, as I said before, I was most moved by the Mind Robber one, and it was when they were talking about the, the second Doctor and Victoria, and I think it was something about them both getting their memories back at the same time and, and remembering each other. Um, so, yeah, that that's the one I got a lump in my throat. Um, but I did love um, McCoy and Aldred back together because that was my first TARDIS team. I loved all that. I think um, I saw you know some people on Twitter after the Power of the Doctor got the idea that when they were referring to having fallen out, that they were talking about love and war, 
which just didn't make a lick of sense anyway because uh, Ace continues to be a character in the new adventures. Beyond that, that wasn't like them falling out and never seeing each other again. So this kind of, without actually going into what they fell out about, it makes it clear that it's not Love and War because she gets left in Canada, not on the planet Heaven. So so that bit was all all really nice. And uh, like you say, yeah, and then, and then repeating the lines from from the end of Survival was, uh, was a fantastic touch as well. There was a falling out between the Seventh Doctor and Ace, which is semi-canonical in the novel At Childhood's End, which has been covered on a previous episode of the Trap One podcast. That was a novel co-written by Michael Tucker and Steve Cole, Michael Tucker writing the Ace segments and Steve Cole writing the 13th Doctor segments. There is a flashback in that book to the Seventh Doctor and Ace having their final falling out uh, so that might have been what they were referring to. And then there was a DWM comic in the 90s where Ace was killed definitively by a poorly drawn flea, giant flea. But that's probably not what they were referring to. I expect it was the one in the uh, Michael Tucker and Steve Cole book that has Sophie Aldridge's name on the cover. Yeah, that was after he accidentally killed some centaurs, wasn't it? That's right. <laughs> but I love the hints that... Um, they were in the middle of an adventure with the Rani at the time, and the Doctor was busy with the Rani. That made me laugh out loud. Dimensions <laughs> in time is no canon. Yeah, I, I, that was my immediate thought, was that, that, that it took place immediately after that. Although, they seem quite friendly at the end there. It could also be a reference to the fact that every time a new female cast member is introduced on the show, fandom immediately goes, it must be the Rani, it must be the Rani. Yeah. <laughs> I want to read you guys a definition, and this is the definition of the word schmaltz. We have all used it at various points, either during this episode or during our pre-recording chat. Schmaltz is a word that derives from Yiddish. It's a word that I've heard so many times in my life that it's second nature, but there may be some members of our audience for whom this term is unfamiliar. Uh, This definition is from Dictionary.com, but is drawn from Leo Royston's book, The Joys of Yiddish, which I also grew up reading over and over and over again. Schmaltz come from the Yiddish schmaltz and the German schmaltz with two meanings. A, liquid animal fat, especially chicken fat, and by extension, exaggerated sentimentalism. The adjective schmaltzy means only exaggeratedly sentimental. Before Americans became concerned about their diets, one could go to a Jewish restaurant and find on the table a bottle filled with schmaltz to make sure diners maintained a proper level of cholesterol in their blood. (laughs) Schmaltz, in its dietary sense, entered English at the end of the 18th century. In its critical sense, in the mid-1930s, the mid-1930s is when there was this huge... um, It was really the moment when the Jewish influx of immigrants, which ended in 1923 to New York, kind of really made its way into American popular culture. If you watch old episodes of Popeye, there's actually several references to it. And also, this is the moment when Jack Kirby is making the leap into mainstream comics, and he had come from the Lower East Side. So, from a Jewish cultural standpoint, that's where Schmaltz comes from. Docker, who in the classic series was never schmaltzy, it was always a show that was about adventure and never about the sentiment. The new series, especially with RTD writing in for its first four or five years, was full of grand emotional moments, usually with pulsating Murray Gold music telling you how to feel at all times. This is really the first time on screen, not counting the DVD collection trailers, which are amazing, 
this is the first time that Russell T. Davies is really giving that level of schmaltz to the classic series. Is this schmaltz too much? Are these segments too sentimental, or are they just sentimental enough? I think they're just sentimental enough. I don't think it's it's too much. I think the um, reunions of of these teams, particularly um, Stephen and Vicky and Jamie and Zoe, who haven't been on screen together. I mean, Stephen and Vicky haven't been on screen together since 1965. Um, uh, Jamie and Zoe haven't been on screen together for 40 years since the Five Doctors, you know. And I think it's justified and it's deserved. And these actors deserve those moments that they didn't get to have on TV. And um, I mean, the reunion of of Stephen and Vicky was just gorgeous. I mean, it's just the the sheer warmth and um, the beauty of them seeing each other for the first time after nearly sixty years, even in their sort of time timelines as well you know it's um it was something really really fantastic and i mean it's it's sort of referenced in the um the tegan and fifth doctor one where where she where they hug each other and the, the doctor says oh we we never really did this sort of thing before did we <laughs> and and of course they didn't because j and t wouldn't let them other teams were allowed to hug like that and that sheer warmth just makes you feel wow. And some of it I know is the actors bringing that because they've got that relationship between them because they've haven't stopped being on stage together at conventions and things like that for, for much of their, their time ever since maybe less so with Janet Fielding and Peter Davison, although that's sort of been reset recently, but you know, the actors have that relationship with each other as well as the, the characters having that relationship. So it's it's really wonderful to see. And the description of Stephen, and, uh, Stephen saying, I've got my little sister back, is just, wow. I, that's exactly the relationship they were. They were brother and sister, and it's beautifully done. Yeah, um, I think it's because it's kind of like a reflection on obviously how TV was written and made back then. You, pr- you could probably say the kind of like the, the the emotional farewells that we get with the Doctor and the Companions in the modern series is probably, you've probably got, what, a handful of those in, in the 26-year run of the classic series, Susan, Joe, Sarah Jane, Tegan, and that's probably it. Um, so it's kind of, it's not retconning anything. It's not, it's kind of like almost not revisionist, but it is like giving us like that kind of like emotional kind of like goodbye, but then also an emotional hello back to these characters, you know, that we never got originally when these characters left, because usually, you know, a a companion would announce that they were leaving, you know, and it's literally in the last two minutes of the final episode and the doctor's like, all right, see you later. Off, Off we go then. And I think that's really picked up on, by Russell T. Davis in the Earthshock episode, because obviously they're reflecting on the death of Adric and they have that little reminisce about him. Oh, you know, he was a stupid boy. Oh, but he loved you. Yeah. And it took, and the, the fifth doctor then says, yeah, it took me years to realize that. And it's like, and because we never stopped, we never stopped running. We always went from one adventure to the next. And I think that's 
interesting because I think when Earthshock was released um, on the collection sets, a lot of people who were probably new to that story were going, well, hold on a minute. You know, they've literally had their one of their best friends of their, that, that team has died. And then in the next story, it's kind of like they mention him for about two seconds and it's off to the next adventure because that's how TV was kind of like written back then. So I think Russell is kind of like um, mending those kind of like goodbyes and those farewells. And it's done really, really well. And it's not done with a disrespect to the old production teams. Yeah. And I think in the context of the anniversary as well, um, you know, you've got to have some some emotion in there. It's a, you know, it's a celebration of the legacy of the show, and you say these people have, have played and lived with these characters for for decades. You know, in many cases, you say they've uh, they carried on playing them for for big finish as well. And it's it is it, it is characters seeing each other uh, for the first time in in decades as well. You say it's. Uh, uh, I think the 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 schmaltz is uh, is earned in in this respect. There are some updates and additions to the canon. I know RTG has had the theory that Tegan and Nyssa become a couple, a romantic couple, after their time on the TARDIS ends. This was not mentioned in the RTD episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures, Death of the Doctor, where Joe, Grant, and Sarah Jane team up, and at the end of the episode they're discussing what became of all the Doctor's other companions, for example, that's where RTD says that Ian and Barbara have become immortal, which, ah, oh, if only. Mm-hmm. But I think it was in the online funeral for Sarah Jane episode that we learned that Tegan and Nissa become a couple. And that's mentioned in the Pete McTighe season 20 box set trailer. Oh, it's kind of a dream sequence, so we're not sure. I think it's definitely stated here. So now it's an undeniable part of the universe. Yeah, in Farewell, Sarah Jane, um, it, it talks about them being a couple and, and living in Australia. And that ties in here because Tegan says that she's moved back to Brisbane, so we know she's living in Australia. And she says, I was in bed, I said goodnight to Nyssa. And this is the only one that contradicts the, the trailer, isn't it? Because season 20 trailer has Tegan seeing Nyssa for the first time in, in decades, whereas the other ones tie into the continuity of those, like the, the one with Joe and the one with Perry. That that one does seem to uh, it does seem to overwrite with with RTD's preferred version of, of what happened. Perhaps she's got a cat called Nissa. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, she's named her her daughter Nissa. <laughs> there was a talking cat in Eric Sayward's misbegotten novelization of Resurrection of the Daleks, where Tegan also becomes a flying superhero. Yeah, when yeah, she's... we can retcon that out. <laughs> when she started telling the doctor about what happened after she left, and I wondered if her superpowers were <laughs> were going to be mentioned. <laughs> and then I jumped off Tower Bridge and I bounced. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you said, Sai, we don't really have the chance for a fourth Doctor reunion due to Tom Baker's age and presumable health and the unavailability of the other cast members. We, for the third Doctor era, the only surviving cast members from that whole era are Joe, John Levine, and Richard Franklin. I gather from his Twitter feed that Richard Franklin is now also retired and not able to perform. That would leave just Katie Manning and John Levine. 
the decision is made to pair Katie Manning up with Daniel Anthony, who was a regular for the all five seasons of the Sarah Jane Adventures, and then has gone on to do some big finish as well. What did we think of the pairing between Katie from the 1970s and Daniel Anthony from the 2000s? I think that worked beautifully. It was a lovely callback to to the Death of the Doctor episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures. And I think it also gave then um, Phil Ford um, the chance to reference Sarah Jane at that moment as well, which I think was earned. And obviously, had she been here, she would have been in that TARDIS straight away. She would have been one of those those six. I'm sure one of those episodes would have been hers. Um, so I think that was absolutely justified and a really nice callback. And it was a really nice to reference the Sarah Jane adventures as well, which was such a huge thing for for a young audience and an older audience as well. <laughs> I have to say. So I think that was that was inspired, and he was really really good. Yeah, and obviously it gives a bit of a background of what he's doing. He's He's you know a successful comic book creator, and then obviously you have the the kind of the revelation that you know he has feelings for Rani as well, and you know Joe says well like you know you can't let that pass, you must tell her, you know but oh but she's busy doing you know her own thing, so it's a nice kind of like little snippet and insight into what you know the characters are doing now, you know which I think is is brilliant at Phil Ford because. He was like the uh, the major showrunner and, and chief writer, wasn't he, of the Sarah Jane Adventures? And he doesn't look like he's aged a day um, as well, does he? Um, given how long ago the Sarah Jane Adventures finished, um, yeah, I, I thought that was a really nice pairing as well. Like you say, it's, I think as with the companions that we learn in these stories, it, it's, it's fascinating to find out you know, what's happened to them after they left the TARDIS. And same with the, with the Sarah Jane Adventures characters. Um, although I think Rani is still kind of an ongoing character because she's in she's in the first series of Redacted and I haven't quite finished the second series yet, but it kind of rings a bell that she's in the cast for that as well. So she's kind of a an ongoing character in the in the universe, you know, in the kind of wider spin-off stuff. Angeline Mohendra, I believe, is also romantically involved with Sacha Devon, and she is doing big finish work herself, isn't she? Yeah, there's a Rani Beyond Bannerman Road box set, I think, from Big Finish. Uh, yeah. I assume she's still involved with Sacha. I'm not positive, but I assume they're still together. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's also the revelation in that one uh, that there's a unit space station, and that feels like there's a few things dropped into these stories, I think, which feel like they're going to pay off in the in the new series that are to come. And the existence of a unit space station definitely feels like something that we should look out for, if not in Doctor Who, maybe the rumoured unit spin-off. Oh, definitely. I, I definitely think that they either Russell's told them to, or because they may be involved in, you know, the future episodes or these future spin-offs that keep getting rumored that mm. they're, they're laying little Easter eggs and little snippets for us to then obviously we'll then see later on and go ah yeah. And then nice if if they do put um, I can't remember Sarah Jane's adopted son's name. It's just popped out of my head. Luke. Luke. Luke, they, you know, they could they can bring him back because I said that he's working on the space station. It's a nice way of bringing him back in, and you don't necessarily need to know all his backstory. Uh, you know, he can he can be a character on there because uh, the other one is about Perry getting back to Earth, which seems like an an odd thing to put in unless he wants to leave that open for a potential uh, return to that character as well. I was going to say, in terms of the unit spaceship, 
the way that many Americans became familiar with the Target books in the late 70s and early 80s was through Pinnacle, which is a New York-based American publisher. They put out 10 Target novelizations in Pinnacle form with original cover art. The cover to the Day of the Daleks, which is the first Pinnacle book, has a spaceship marked unit on it, even though it has no relation to the story. So unit spaceship has become a watchword among American Doctor Who fans. This may have been not only laying the groundwork for a unit spinoff, it also could have been a knowing Easter egg towards the Pinnacle books, which, since I have the Doctor Who literature podcast, that is devoutly what I am hoping it was. (laughs) Absolutely. And sort of speaking of sort of Easter eggs and things like that, what I liked through the whole thing, through the whole six of these, was that there were little hints about what it was and where they were that were paid off sort of gradually all the way Mm. through. And so the revelation that it's a memory TARDIS comes in the sixth episode with, with the seventh doctor and ace and the fact that why can, why are the, the three doctors that we're seeing looking older again, comes in that last one as well. Whereas there could be multiple timelines where, where I carry on and keep going and have never regenerated, but I've already have regenerated and all of this. And it's just that little, little sort of payoff that, Anything can happen in Doctor Who. And if you want your Doctor to carry on forever, then in this little way, maybe he does. You mentioned that because I could only watch these on YouTube. And on YouTube, they are posted out of order. So the Colin Baker ones were posted first, and that was the first one that I watched. So I didn't realize they were telling an unfolding story, one through seven. I think it's quite subtle, but yeah, I thought that because the first one, the first one is Earthshock, uh, as as they're listed on the iPlayer, and in that one, the Doctor doesn't know where he is. He said, "I think it's a memory of a TARDIS." I like the idea that he's discovered it in his fifth incarnation. In his sixth incarnation, he knows about it and can go there at will and just go and have a quiet like read of his book on his own and and just kind of relive some memories. Uh, yeah, and then by the seventh, he's he's. Yeah, kind of way more uh, au fait with it. Like you say, he's describing to Ace what it is. It's, it's nice that the Doctor, through those three incarnations, has learned about it as well. This was also Zoe's first canonical on-screen appearance in a long time. This is the five Doctors, I think, because there has not yet been a Patrick Troughton Blu-ray collection. One would like to think they have already filmed a Pete McTighe-written preface to the season six box set, and that Zoe will have something on there which lets us know what she's up to. And, of course, the fact that uh, Zoe and Jamie didn't really lose their memories at the end of the War Games, as per this vignette. And maybe there will be another season of Tales from the TARDIS with other Doctors and Companions going forward. Yeah, I'd love that. Because although it wasn't clear, Zoe says that when she left the Wheel in Space, she went to live in Australia. And then, and then she became the president. And I wonder whether it meant she was the president of Australia, like it's going to become a republic in the future, or whether she's the president of Earth, like in Frontier in Space. And I actually meant to look to see when Frontier in Space is set compared to the Wheel in Space. I've got the feeling she was the president of Earth because her outfit is very much in line with the president of Earth's outfit from Frontier in Space. Right. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Yeah, I've even written down, Zoe is president of Earth, so yeah. I don't think <laughs> the same conclusion. But I really liked that her costume was the sort of sparkly echo 
of her um, of her cat suit as well, which is brilliant. Frontier in Space takes place in the year 2540. Wheel in Space, I believe, is meant to be the 21st century, and in The Mind Robber, Zoe describes having read comics in the hourly telepress in the year 2000. Right. <laughs> so there's quite a distance apart there, time-wise. Yeah. We're a little way off a, a president of Earth at the moment, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> We've got moving comics, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One step and at a time. in the War Games novelization, Malcolm Hulk says that Zoe is from so far in the future that she's never heard of the United States of America. So clearly she's after the year 2023. <laughs> <laughs> well, after the election next year. <laughs> 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 you're trying to haunt my nightmares oh I think it haunts all our nightmares to be quite honest well election night 2023 did very well for the forces of democracy so maybe all is not yeah. yet lost but yeah a bit of social commentary obviously was creeping in but then that also crept into the, uh, the Six Doctor and Perry episode mm. because Perry said that you know she'd got back to Earth and the 21st century very much reminded her of Varos and that um, snippet of dialogue actually missed me when I first watched it because I was actually thinking, Vengeance on Varos, it, it, I would have probably chosen a different story, you know, of something a bit more kind of like easygoing, upbeat, more adventurous, probably something like Mark of the Rani. Um, but then obviously I can see why they then selected Vengeance on Varos, even though at some points it is a little bit slow-paced. Um, but, yeah, I liked the fact that she made that parallel there uh, to the actual story that they were remembering. It's a very arty thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's my favourite Six Doctor story, so I was, I was pleased they chose that one. Uh, but yeah, I suppose it, it like you say, it makes sense of, of yeah, sort of Perry's a bit disillusioned and then travelling with the Doctor, like she's so keen to travel with the Doctor again because they can they can maybe sort of put things, put some things right and yeah, kind of reverse things a bit. So did you think the choice of stories was was a good one or were there some unexpected choices there? I think they were all good choices. They're sort of ones that you would you would show to new fans, I think. The Time Meddler, The Mind Robber, Three Doctors. Curse Fenric, I think, is my favourite Seventh Doctor story, I think. Yeah, you're not scaring off the uh, the not we are you with those ones. Yeah, none of the stories are, are that continuity heavy and they mm. don't like refer to past adventures or say like, you know, like, you know, you can see why Attack of the Cybermen wasn't, you know, chosen because it's like literally a sequel to both like, you know, the 10th Planet and Tomb of the Cybermen and all those like references to previous stories would have probably just confused the average viewer and gone, you what? Oh, I'm switching this off. I yeah. can't understand it. You know, <laughs> But, yeah, so I can see like, that they've chosen a good um, like smorgasbord, as you were, of Doctor Who stories for you to, to watch and then actually go, oh, I like that one. Let me go onto the iPlayer and let me look at another one from that era or from that, you know, that Doctor, that story. Um, I was a bit surprised at first when I started watching the Earthshock one because I don't know... Whether it was the way it was worded in the press release about Tales from the TARDIS and stuff, but I got the feeling that this was actually going to be more compacted versions of the story, a bit like, you know, Behind the Sofa, 
uh, featurettes that are on the collection box sets. So obviously still having the intro and the outro, but then taking away some of the more slower-paced bits of the story and perhaps having then the characters narrate that just to speed it up a little. So I was actually quite surprised that literally you get the full story just without the original opening titles and then the, the cliffhangers and, you know, the stings and stuff. So um, I actually thought they might have, like, shied away from that and done what they're doing for the, the Daleks uh, on the actual anniversary itself where they've recolorized it and they've cut it down to 75 minutes, haven't they? You know, to mm. fasten the pace up. Um, so I was quite surprised that we actually got the full and complete adventures Um you know, on either side of the the scenes with the characters. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe think when you said that, there, maybe think they could do behind the sofa in character. Maybe that would be uh, <laughs> something they could do in future. <laughs> <laughs> so, are we hoping to see more of these, like maybe an annual season of Tales from the TARDIS? Whenever there's a new season of Doctor Who on the TV, maybe more of these. I certainly think there is room to have the same characters come back or different character pairings talking about other stories. Certainly this has the potential to be a lot more than a one-off. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's loads of potential and there's, there's still lots of people around who, who could come, come and, um, and do something. So I mean, we've got Karen Ann Ford, we've got, um, Annika Wills, um, We've got Louise Jameson and Lala Ward, um, Sarah Sutton. Somehow, I'm sure they could do Matthew Waterhouse. Someone said, wouldn't it be interesting to to have Nyssa and Adric's ghost? <laughs> <laughs> or or, or uh, Adric sort of pulled out of the timeline sort of somehow. And obviously, um, we have Bonnie Langford, Mark Strickson. So there are, there are still plenty of other people around that, that we could do that. Get Chameleon back. Chameleon and K9 back in the TARDIS together to to reunite to talk about some Android tales, you know. Um, for me, it would I'd love to see Lala and K9 sort of reunited to watch um, Nightmare of Eden, something like that, you know. But that's just me. I mean, that's that's my TARDIS team, and they're the ones that I'd be be sort of hoping for. But really, I think anyone is going to get me in some somehow somewhere. So. Yeah, and I think the potential of the format is so much that I don't think you'd have to limit it to Doctors and Companions. Mm-hmm. You could easily have, like, Simon Williams coming back as Chunky Gilmore with Ace and going, oh, hi, you know, why am I here? Oh, you're here to remember your adventure. Oh, yes. Into remembrance of the Daleks, you know. Take those notable guest stars that we had that are still with us and have them paired up with a companion or a Doctor to then like retell the tale, so the, the concept is brilliant because it's limitless. Really, you know, you you are just hindered with you know who is still with us. You know, if you were going down that route, you could even you know bring back you know David Bradley, you know, and have him as the first Doctor, and perhaps have him with Caroline Ford. You know, you could mm. do a lovely like retelling of like you know, you know, Dalek Invasion of Earth or something. You know, so. It, the format is brilliant because you could literally choose any particular person who's appeared in the show and then have them paired up and say, why am I here? I'm here in the memory TARDIS to relive my adventure. And then you can catch up with that particular character. 
Yeah, I don't think um, there's any problem. I think they've established by by having the the little bit of of Cliff Jones in the Three Doctors one that you know if if a character's died on screen, they and the, and the actor's still with us. Obviously, not in the case of, of Stuart Bevan, but in the case of Matthew Waterhouse, they they you know they can they can bring him back from from a point. Well, I suppose the actor's older, but then they just wait hand wave that away, don't they? It's uh, I've seen a few people on Twitter say that you know Doctor Who doesn't do the you know the sort of the de aging uh, that you get in in a lot of kind of blockbuster stuff or, or anything like that. It's it's just just you know these are still fantastic actors who can still play the parts. Just just put them in as they are. It's, it's great. I don't think the Disney Plus money is uh, going to stretch the tails from the TARDIS. I think they'll probably yeah. save that <laughs> <laughs> for the specials and for the shooties uh, series. Mm-hmm. What else have you been doing with the Hooniverse, you guys? Have you been watching everything else? Are you watching in any particular order? And more importantly, once the Hooniverse became available to you, and of course we don't have it in the States, what was the very first thing you chose to watch, starting with Psy? Well, the very first thing I chose to watch after the Tales of the TARDIS, um, I finished that, I watched The Leisure Hive Part 1 because that's (laughs) such an... So it was the episode that made me a fan so it seemed like it was really appropriate to watch that one for me so i mean i i dipped in um to a, a couple of random episodes um and bizarrely the the one full story that i watched was terror of the zygons which i finished last night so that was a a decent choice and one i hadn't seen for a while so i really enjoyed that but yeah for me i've just had a a sort of quick look just to like like Doctor Who fans do, where they've been checking wh- which version of which episodes have they put out, what's which ones have been restored, which ones are the unrestored versions, and all of that, and making lists. So I've had a quick sort of flick through to see sort of a few random bits and pieces here and there. Um, but yeah, it's only Terror of the Zygons, really, that I've watched in full. And for more of Sai's memories on Leisure Hive, I refer you to episode 69 of Doctor Who Literature, where Sai and I discussed that particular story. UK Jason, what was the very first thing you chose to watch on the Hooniverse? Well, after Tales from the TARDIS, I actually, for some bizarre reason, I selected Invasion of the Dinosaurs Part 1 purely to see, not only, it used to be my favourite John Pertwee story, but when my lad went through his dinosaur phrase, after watching that story 30 times in a row, you kind of like grow a little bit tired of it. <laughs> well, I haven't watched it in its entirety like since he was like five years old. He's now 13, so I think it's worth a rewatch. But I selected episode one purely to see if they'd done any more restoration, colorization to it. And um, it is the DVD version, and uh, so it is in colour, um, but I believe it's not to the standard that it would be if they, I think, believe they're probably working on it now for the future collection box set. But yeah, I love that episode because it's very quite atmospheric and has that wonderful cliffhanger of, uh, you know, you suddenly like, you know, see uh, like dinosaurs in, in modern day London. So um, besides that, I've dipped into, um, I had a little look back at Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, I went into the final part of Sharda uh, to take the um, segment of Tom Baker as he is now for that wonderful final scene of Sharda because I'm putting some of those scenes into one of my uh, anniversary specials that I'm doing for YouTube, uh, which is uh, dedicated to the show. So 
Shameless plug there. <laughs> and speaking of shameless plug, the video studio segments of Invasion of the Dinosaurs Part 1, which was just called Invasion, were filmed on the day that I was born. So that is my oh, birthday story. Yeah. <laughs> and the novelization is also an absolute banger, one of Malcolm Oh, it is, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Great novel. And the definitive Chris Achilles cover. Clack. Clack. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark, how about you? What is the first thing you chose to watch on Hooniverse? I I haven't watched very much so far. After Tales of the TARDIS, I, I had about half an hour left on my on my lunch break and, and I was normally work from home. So I just watched the first episode, City of Death. I just wanted something really kind of uh, kind of peppy and energetic just to kind of um, <laughs> fire me up for going back to my desk for the afternoon <laughs> so I just wanted something really fun uh so yeah that was uh that was great just to it's it's just the being able to just dial it up through uh I've got like like UK Jason got Sky Q over here so just being able to sort of dial it up on there is is, is such a joy I feel like the way for the last sort of was it five years? All of the new series of Doctor Who's been on the iPlayer, so I haven't really touched any of my box sets or Blu-rays. Uh, I think depend. Presumably, it's going to be the classic series going on there for a good while because they've put a huge amount of effort into it. They've, they, you know, they've put um, they've put the sign language um, kind of option on there and everything. So you know, it's uh, it's it's a big a big job that they've they've done all this. So I imagine it's going to be there for a long while. And I, I worry that some of my collections are just going <laughs> to sit on my shelf now. Other than for the you know the brilliant behind the sofa stuff and that, when I need to watch a, a classic story, it's just going to be so much more convenient to, uh, to to just yeah just just pull it up on there. Uh, but the other things we've had that are on the iPlayer that are new for the anniversary so far is there's a new documentary with David Tennant. Um, about the classic series and we've had the who at 60 concert as well with the uh with the welsh orchestra i think it is welsh national orchestra. yeah it's the national orchestra of wales isn't yeah, it that's it, yeah mm-hmm. yeah they, they it's like the uh the the popular front of judea and the people's <laughs> 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 the national orchestra of wales i get it right yeah <laughs> Of bitter enemies and rivals. Um, yeah, so that that was brilliant. It was uh, uh, hosted by Joe Wiley, and uh, all three of the 21st century showrunners were there, and uh, Murray Gold was there and stuff. And that was a that was a really nice selection of old music and music that we've yet to hear on screen. Yeah, and had the debut of the the new theme tune for the uh, anniversary specials, didn't it? Uh, which yeah. is I I thought was very much um, kind of led by the TV movie version. A lot of elements of that into it. I think it probably because of the orchestration of it, but it reminded me of that quite a lot. It's that piano bit, isn't it? That slightly, yeah, slightly off key piano that feels slightly wrong. That <laughs> was, yeah, that that was good. Uh, yeah, and the concert was lovely, and it was lovely to hear the um, the classic music suite that they did at the prom in yeah. 2013, um, which I had a moment with at the Albert Hall where I burst into tears because I wasn't <laughs> expecting um, the music from City of Death and that really sort of knocked me out. And then I had the same thing when I knew it was coming on this concert and it still got me again. So damn you, Dudley Simpson. <laughs> so we don't have Hooniverse here in the States, but we still have Pluto TV, which has a Doctor Who channel. And this is available in the US and Canada showing classic Doctor Who 24 hours a day. I'm going to hold up on my phone the Pluto Doctor Who episode being shown right now. 
can you guess which story and episode this is? It's the Seeds of Doom. Not in the Arctic. Part five. Ooh, part five. How did you deduce that, Si? Um, because they're in the cottage and they've just had the brilliant cliffhanger where they're screaming at the at the wobbly wobbly crinoid. Um, and oh, God, I know my thing. stuff. <laughs> this is great for podcast for, li- yeah. for all the listeners. <laughs> but um, Scorpius just let his Molotov cocktail. Sai was able to identify from about two seconds of looking at my phone through the webcam that it was Seeds of Death Part Five, Seeds of Doom Part Five. That's very impressive work. Sai gets the prize for I, this episode. There's got to be somewhere in the world where this this kind of geekery can pay off. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I During Eli Who in August, I pitched and hosted a panel called While You Were Streaming about different ways of experiencing Doctor Who for fans over the last 40 years. At the end of the panel, I called up Pluto on my phone, and I held it up, and it was Terror of the Vervoids Part 1. Nobody in the audience could get it. <sighs> Slackers. You, you guys would have had it within seconds. You guys would have had it within seconds. <laughs> All right, we're coming to the end of our hour. Uh, Mark, starting with you, what else have you been getting up to podcast-wise that you want to talk to us about? Well, I've been guesting on the Maximum Power podcast, which has just started its run on Series C. And I think um, as yeah, there'll only be about four episodes out, I think, as this podcast goes out. So so do check that out. Um, I'm, I think I'm on more of this season than the previous two, but don't let that put you off. <laughs> um, I will be, uh, I'm not sure when this is going out, but there'll probably be uh, the third of my four Doctor Who um, anniversary celebration episodes will be um, up on YouTube. I'm debuting them on uh, every Saturday at five o'clock, just because I think that's quite apt. Uh, And the final one will be going out on the evening that we get the first 60th anniversary special, uh, The Star Beast, which uh, I believe we'll probably be doing a Trap One podcast on that as well. Absolutely. And Sai, how about you? Well, um, since we we last convened to record a Trap One, I've started my own podcast. (laughs) And um, yeah, so it's called The Library of Impossible Things, where Doctor Who fans bring an object that means something to them and get to talk about their love of the show and their fandom. Um, so there's just the two episodes out so far, but um, I will be collaring everyone to come on and and have a, have a chat with me. So far, it seems everyone is quite easy to has found it very easy just to talk about themselves and their love for this show with no problem whatsoever. I surprised myself at being able to talk for an hour straight with no planning about my life with Doctor Who. So, um, yeah, please do check it out, and I hope you all enjoy it. And I understand you had James Coure Smith on as a guest on Maximum Power recently? We certainly did. Yeah, I was very upset that I missed that episode, having known James since he was a teenager. So, oh wow! Mm-hmm. Now he has been on Doctor Who literature. He is a terrific conversation, and I love his Substack, which I get over email once or twice a week. He is oh, next level, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a lovely one about the Dominators this week. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Fraser. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he already knows. <laughs> <laughs> 
which leads to the specter of Chris Chibnall appearing on the Who Corner to Corner podcast and being asked a question by Fraser. Quarks or crotons? (laughs) (laughs) I will uh, leave you in suspense as to the answer, but Fraser was probably not too happy with that answer. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm doing something similar to UK Jason for Doctor Who literature. I am not talking about any of the novelizations for the month of November 2023, which is a frustration for Cy because he is the second book up after I finished my four-week detour. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, doing, I'm halfway through. <laughs> I haven't even started yet, so we have plenty of time. Uh, this month we are discussing different aspects of the Hooniverse. So I just had on New York Times best-selling author Adam Christopher, who is a Trap One listener, talking about his Star Wars and Stranger Things novels and his work on Doctor Who fanzines. I will be having an episode with one of you guys about Doctor Who cliffhangers coming up very soon. I'm doing my long-awaited Top 60 for 60, 60 episodes in 60 years episode, and a couple of other surprises along the way. And then I resume with the next two books up, The Mind of Evil and The Myth Makers, one of which will feature somebody sitting in this room right now. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, after spending an hour in the memory TARDIS, sigh, I love you. Oh, I love you too, Jason. And you, Jason. And you, Mark. <laughs> UK Jason, I love you. Oh, I love you all. It's been emotional. And Mark, I'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for downloading the Trap One podcast. You can find all episodes at Trap One underscore on Twitter at trapone.podbean.com or on your favorite podcatcher of choice. 